You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. The sole purpose of this show is to help you run a better business in the trucking industry. So we take your calls and we answer your questions about all kinds of things, trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, getting started as an owner operator, finding freight, working with brokers, rates and lanes, you name it, we'll cover it here on the air. And we're going to get to the calls in just a couple minutes and answer your questions. I'll do my best. Many times, one of the other listeners will help us out with some answers. What I want to talk about today is is a, a business topic, and then I'd like to relate it to trucking, and I'd like to help you with this topic in trucking specifically. All the years I've been running businesses and and it's virtually been my whole life. I started painting cars when I was 16 and making money doing it. Opened a gym when I was 19. I, I probably would have gotten into trucking sooner, except I really couldn't. So I waited until I could and bought my first truck at 22. And I've been doing things related to trucking ever since. And, and one of the things I've really learned over the years of, you know, pure experience of running businesses and reading literally thousands of books, the, the conclusion that I've come to is the best way to run a better business is to be a better you. And it, the show has kind of taken that direction in the last year or so. We still talk a lot about trucks and fuel mileage, and we'll answer all your questions, but the best way I can help you either run a good business or get into business is to help you be better at all the things you do, and then you will be better at business. The issue I want to talk about today is conflict in business. Now, let's think. Is there any conflict in trucking? Do you face conflicts in your business or or in your job if you're a driver? Do we face conflicts with whatever they're calling them these days, dispatchers, coordinators, babysitters. I, I don't know. Companies seem to have all kinds of new names for these guys. Um, just, it's, I think it's rebranding to try to get rid of the bad image. But you know what? They're there trying to do their job. They're, people are all, for the most part, trying to do their job as best as they know how. And so are you. And conflict is going to arise. Do you have conflict with brokers? Maybe if you're a, uh, an owner operator using brokers, do you have conflict with shippers and receivers when you get there? Yeah, you, you all know the answer to this. Of course you do. And yet, what do we ever do? What kind of training do we ever get to help us manage conflict better? And what kind of training do the people we're having conflicts ever get? And is it any wonder that the conflicts we have today are the same ones we had 30 years ago when I got into business. The interesting thing is I've noticed that there are some people who seem to manage and handle conflict so well that you don't really see that it's there. 
One of the uh, one of the my absolute favorite books of all time. I've recommended it for years and years. Is the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People came out in uh, 1990, and they just now released the 25th anniversary edition. So I bought it hardcover, and I'm working back through it again. If you've read the Seven Habits and you liked it, I'll tell you don't don't read it once and and move on because the stuff that's in there is so good and so critically important. That's why I'm going to go back through it. But if you like it, there's also a couple more books you should get. One called The Eighth Habit, and that talks about moving from effectiveness to greatness. And it really talks about if you can master or just get really good at the the seven habits, then moving on to really creating something very important in your life and and the lives of the people around you. It's uh, it really is the next level. It's not one more habit. It really becomes the way you live your life. And it's a whole book on just that concept. Highly recommend that one as well. And then there's one I just got that I didn't have never seen before, and it's called Daily Reflections for Highly Effective People. And it's uh, one of those things where it's a page every day, uh, it, and it's just usually a sentence or a short paragraph taken from the seven or and eight habits. So it, and it's actually dated. It starts on January 1st. So I just got it yesterday. So I had to jump. I want to do it in order. So I jumped to February 26th. And th- this is why I want to talk about conflict because that's what this was about. And let me read the, the reflection for today. It's clarifying expectations sometimes takes a great deal of courage. It seems easier to act as though differences don't exist and to hope things will work out than it is to face the differences and work together to arrive at a mutually agreeable set of expectations. This one hits home for me because I am probably one of my weaknesses is the fact that I avoid conflict. And, you know, there's two ways that people usually respond to conflict, very opposite. Some people, when they face a conflict and they don't feel like they're getting their way, get very assertive and aggressive and 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 kind of push their way through things. I'm the exact opposite. I, I tend to avoid conflict. I'm a people pleaser. I tend to give in. And I recognize that as one of the reasons I've said, no matter how much I learn about negotiation, I still don't seem to be very good at it. And it's because you can know all the right techniques, but if you if you can't practice this part of of not always trying to give somebody else what they want, because that's not a good answer for anybody. It's really not that that's just as bad as the other end of the scale. We want to find that balance in the middle. And that, that's something I'm working on. Um, so think about that. Which way do you respond to conflict and can you move closer to the middle, which is also um, habit number five in the book, if you remember it. It's called the, the fifth habit is seek first to understand, then to be understood. Another big weakness of mine. When I'm talking with somebody, I sometimes think, well, I, I read a lot. I know this stuff. I have experience. So you, you need to understand because I'm right here. And you know what? Many times you you will be right, but it, it won't do any good to be right if you can't understand the other person first. 
you know, the, the old saying, we have two ears, one mouth. And guess of the three, guess which one can close your mouth. You should listen twice as much as you talk. And it's easy. Just close your mouth sometimes and listen. And this, that's a big lesson for me. Um, it's what I'm working on. So today, if you are having or ever had any kind of a conflict, which should be anybody, if it comes to mind and you'd like to talk about it, we can. And as always, we can talk about all of your questions. So let's get to some calls. Let's go to Paul in North Carolina. Thanks for calling. Welcome to the show. Howdy. What's up um, today? Rod Ram. Out of the snow, thank God. All right. Um, I think I, my truck's two years old, or about two years old now, but I think I'm, my, maybe my batteries are dying. I, I haven't had any trouble starting it up in the morning, but when I fire up my bunkie, to, and like after about three or four hours, it shuts off and it says low voltage. So I'm wondering maybe if I've got a battery that's, that's dying or something. Yeah. You know, anytime we face voltage issues, the first thing to do is identify it's either coming from the fact that we're not charging the batteries properly or the batteries themselves are no longer able to hold as much of a charge. So the first thing we do is try to identify which one it sounds to me already because you kind of figured a few things out that you're right, that it, it sounds more like a battery issue because we're charging correctly and you've got good starting power. You just don't seem to have good staying power uh, when you're trying to use hotel loads and things like that. There's a couple quick tests, though, that we can do. Um, you know, two of the tools that I think everybody should have on their truck and learn how to use um, a good multimeter for testing voltages and ohms and other things. Great troubleshooting tool for anything electrical and a battery load tester. And, and with those two tools, we can absolutely figure out which one of these it is. So, you know, we could isolate the alternator, make sure that it's putting out, because here's another thing to think about. If your batteries are dying prematurely, there, there's two reasons for that. One, we're either putting too much of a hotel load on a battery that wasn't designed for hotel loads, like our typical... That's probably what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you probably have a typical lead-acid battery that has a lot of cold cranking amps, and that's wonderful. Yeah. It makes the truck start up really nice, but they don't like to be charged and discharged deeply, and when you do that, they, you will wear them out really quickly. The other reason batteries will die early is because the alternator might be charging. It's just not charging in the right range. So when we get back, we're going to talk about a couple quick tests, a couple ways to troubleshoot this, and then maybe a way to make it better in the future. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothenberg.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. I'm going to go right back to Paul in North Carolina. So here's what I would recommend, Paul, whether you you know have the tools, you do this yourself or you have a shop do it. We want to test the, the alternator first and we want it to be in the range of 13.8 to 14.2. That, that is the ideal range to charge the kind of batteries we have. If it falls lower than 13.8, you won't really notice. It'll still charge your batteries. If it goes higher than 14.2, you probably won't notice. It'll still charge the batteries. But outside that range, it will diminish the life of the battery. So that's a good first test. Then we could load test the batteries. And I have a feeling you're going to find a weak battery in there that's, that's causing this problem. And once one cell of one battery goes weak, it starts taxing the rest and they'll all follow pretty quick. So once you figure out where you are as far as that goes, fix the immediate problem. If you're going to change batteries because they're bad, what you want to look at is something. There's two ways to go about this. My favorite way, um, but it certainly costs more money up front. It's probably going to run you, you know, close to $1,600 in the beginning if you want to get what I think is about the best setup, which is a, a Maxwell start module so that you have more cold cranking amps than you can ever need. And you'll never really need to jumpstart your truck and you won't be with a dead battery and not be able to start anymore. And then the other three batteries use something like the blue top Optima. The other day we talked about the yellow top, which is kind of a compromise. The blue top is designed <laughs> for hotel loads. So you yep. can charge it, discharge it, charge it, discharge it, and it will hold up. It'll, it'll last longer and live longer than the battery you have now. Otherwise, if you just want to stick with four batteries and you want to be able to do a little bit of both, make sure your truck still starts and, and still handles some hotel loads, you might want to look at the Yellow Top Opt Optimo, which has really good cold cranking amps, and it's still good for hotel loads. Yeah. Well, my, my alternator, it, it runs pretty consistent on the scan gauges, like 13.8, 13.9 most of the time. That's but um, I, I think I think probably what it is because I run an electric PTO a lot, and I yep. think that's probably what what what's killed one oh, one yeah. of the batteries. Yeah, you know th the fact that you put such a load on those with a, a PTO like that, which is a big drain. I think you you know certainly in the long run you would you would want to invest in the start module and the blue tops. How much, what, how much is that start module? It's about a thousand bucks or something, isn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah. There, every now and then you catch a couple specials on it, and it'll be you know nine fifty or so. And then you know if you can install it yourself, it's probably three or four hours to do it right. And otherwise, you're going to pay somebody whatever their rate is for about three or four hours to get it in. Yeah, well, I'm thinking maybe they'll be having a special scene that's coming up to truck show season, so. Yeah, you know, between uh, uh, the Mid-America Truck Show and uh, the CMC, anybody coming to that, we usually have specials on all the products that we carry. So um, we are also working, you know, I should probably check before I say it, because things are changing every day in our store, and it's very possible that we have it up in the store. Let me check. Yes, we do, as a matter of fact. Um 
We have the, like I say, that's how fast things are changing. We have it in our store for $1,050 right now. So if you want to order it from us, you could go to letstruck.com slash store and you'll find it there. Let's uh, let's get back to some phone calls. Let's go to Florida. Mike, welcome to the program. Hello. What can I help Hello. you? Yeah, this, um, I got a uh, 07 Century. It's one of the old Schneider trucks with a 14 okay. liter. Um, I had it. My gate, I'm struggling to get six miles a gallon with it running 63 mile an hour. Okay. Um, and I went to a Freightliner dealer and had them hook it up to the computer. And they said something about a VNL, something to do with the turbocharger. And that was about all I could get out of the guy. You know, yeah. Trying to find out what it was, what it did. And he, yeah, he was, he just kind of cut me off. Yeah. And, you know, it, it really, it, it doesn't matter a lot. Here's why. My guess is they're probably wrong anyway. That one of the very <laughs> common patterns we see, and, and the reason I say this, because we just see it over and over and over. The ISX is is the worst engine to have everything blamed on the turbocharger. The the ISX okay. turbochargers fail constantly, and it's it's a symptom, not the problem. So they keep replacing turbochargers or actuators. And they don't address the real problem because I don't think they know how to figure out what the real problem is. Uh, and I'm, I'm not criticizing them. I don't know how to figure out what the real problem is either. I've talked to the engineers. Mm-hmm. Nobody seems to know how or the procedure to figure out how is so complicated and time consuming that we don't have enough people trained in it and enough people doing the right steps. This is the biggest reason why I I work so hard to avoid these engines, because when we start to see problems, it is really, really difficult to get them fixed. And not only is the repair expensive and frustrating because we don't get it right and you'll you'll be back in six months looking for another turbo again. The other problem is what you just mentioned. When they don't function right, fuel mileage, we can modify and upgrade and do all we want. We still can't get any fuel mileage out of them. And, and if we look at how much money that's costing, that's insane. Your truck should probably be getting seven and a half miles to the gallon, and you're probably losing 10 grand a year just in fuel over this. So right. now I've told you the bad news. Um, let me tell you the worst news. I don't have any really good answers. I, I wish okay. I did. We keep looking. I, I keep working with everybody I can find, and we're still struggling. Um, it, what I've found many times is that the problem will show up in the turbo. The computer will say we have a turbo problem. The All the other evidence says we have a turbo problem. Maybe our boost is fluctuating a lot, or we can't generate enough boost. And yet, and, and many times replacing the turbo will make things better. But why do we have to come back again in six months and do it again, which is what we tend to see? And, and the, the turbo itself in an emission engine interacts with all the other parts of the emission systems, V-pods and actuators and all kinds of things that are responding to the EGR system. Uh, the EGR will change the pitch of the vari- variable geometry turbo. That's how it's designed to work. 
But if something else goes wrong and it could be as crazy as nothing more than a half of a volt drop on a sensor somewhere. And the the odds of the, the average shop finding that are slim to none because there might be eight different sensors that could affect it. There are V pods that affect it. So, you know, I'd love to tell you. And it could be a, uh, a driving only situation where you're sitting in the shop. They'll never be able to find it. That's another thing. If it's electrical, not only could it be driving only, it could be very intermittent even when you're driving. So intermittent electrical problems are the absolute toughest things to troubleshoot, even for people who are really good at it, because you can't troubleshoot it until you can get it to happen. And if you can't get it to happen, it's just so random. It can really make you crazy. And, and these engines are more and more electronic, more and more sensors, which makes it much more likely that we're going to have one of those intermittent electrical problems. So the, the, my, my best advice for people that have these engines, I just don't want to blow people off and say you're screwed because I don't have an answer. My best advice is that you have to work really hard to find a shop that, that at least is willing to work with you, build a relationship and, and hope that they can, you know, that they can at least troubleshoot some of these problems and get the engine working better. I I would love to have a list of these shops, but unfortunately I keep asking for people, look, if you've got one, if you know somebody, please send it to me. I'll build a list, but I also have to be careful. I've got to go check out. I I just can't take, you know, one or two people's word for for it. Yeah. So I have to do a lot of work. Otherwise I'm sending people to shops that I shouldn't be. And I don't want to do that either. So right. does that mean, did they just kind of run across it by accident and hey, there's the problem, or is it something that they you know they had to really look for? Yeah, so I, I try to give people a couple options because you know one size doesn't fit all. Some of my options are look, don't own one of these engines. If that is a possibility for you, think about it hard. Could you get rid of this truck? And, and I'm not saying this one because I don't know if it's been a lot of trouble. I'm just talking in general right now. Could you right. get rid? this truck and and go get a pre-emission truck could you get rid of this truck and build a glider could you get rid of this truck and find a used glider those are three options the fourth and i would explore all three of those first the fourth is you've got to do the work to find a shop and build that relationship and that can be extremely difficult but unfortunately me trying to diagnose these engines over the phone is never going to happen i shouldn't say never i don't like that word not going to happen anytime soon. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. 
We're going to get right back to some phone calls. Let's head off to Washington. Melissa, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. Hey there. What's on your mind today? Um, today, we want to talk about the mastermind group that, that uh, Rick and I started. Oh, great. Great. Well, you're a step ahead of me then, because all I've done on my mastermind group is talk about it and plan it. I haven't got it started yet. Well, that's okay. You planted the seed in our head, so you did your job. <laughs> Good. Good. So what's yours all about? Okay. So we had our first meeting uh, last night. Um, and the way I like to talk about it is I like to say that it has a twofold purpose. We have eight people in the group, including Rick and myself. And when we get together, we're going to help each other with our habits, our goals, hold each other accountable, um, and give any give everybody within the group, you know, help them in business if they need it. Um, and then the second part is Rick and I have been wanting to do this podcast to help people get through their first year of trucking. And this group is going to be a wonderful source of information or building material for that podcast. So we're very excited about it. Wow. I, I, you guys have, have laid it out exactly like my vision was. And after looking at a lot of other mastermind groups that have been very successful in other industries and, you know, looking at, at what we have available for us as tools, as far as sharing things like the podcast and that, I think this is, you guys have done such a great job at this. I, I love the idea of any mastermind group being kind of a support and accountability system for all the things I try to open my show with. You know, I, I said today that the best way to be better in business is just to be a better you. And that, and that does mean all our habits and our lifestyle and, and all the things that go along with that relationships and diet and exercise. And so that is such a great core to support everybody in that. And then I love the idea of having a specific reason, um, which is, I love yours, helping people get through that first year. Now, a lot of people responded to me saying, boy, I'd love to be, you know, to, I'd love to lead a mastermind group, but I, I've only been in the industry, you know, eight years. I just don't feel like I have enough experience or enough knowledge in any one area. How long have you and Rick been in the industry? Uh, I've been in the industry for seven and Rick has been in the industry for nine. Yeah. So you guys looked at something and said, wait a minute, what, what did we experience? What could we really help somebody with? And you came up with that idea. Hey, that first year is rough. Uh, my first year was rough and I had grown up around the industry. So I, I was pretty comfortable around trucks and truck drivers and that kind of thing. But you know, when you get let loose in that truck, especially I was, I was 22. Yeah. When you get let loose in that truck to go across the country, it, it gets a little scary sometimes. And having somebody to, to walk you through that, telling you what to expect and, and how to, you know, kind of some life hacks for that first year, some things to make everything easier. I, I love the concept. And then the beauty of the mastermind group, like you said, is now it's not you trying to think of ideas or Rick trying to think of ideas, you two come together and then you have six other people coming together. I, you know, the, the sum of the individual parts is so much stronger than, than any one of you. I, I love it. So congratulations. As far as I know, uh, nobody else has reported back to me yet as far as getting one started and having their first meeting. So 
Congratulations. We're first out of the gate. That's We're right. First out of the gate. I love it. That's right. Good. Yeah. And now I was, we, I was actually, go ahead. Now we can watch you to figure out what's working and what isn't, and that'll help the rest of us get our group started too. Oh, I love being a guinea pig. One of my favorite things to do. <laughs> Good. Excellent. Yes. Well, uh, I was actually, could I, could I just make a couple of comments or? Sure. Okay. I was just going to say that I was actually very lucky coming into my first year in trucking because Rick trained me. I actually, that's how we met, was he was my trainer at the company that I signed on to. So I went straight from being a student to being an owner operator with all of Rick's uh, experience. He's been in the industry for two years. So wow. I was very lucky. But listening listening to his stories about his first year, it's wow, man, did I miss out on a whole ton of, wow, yeah. So <laughs> I'm, yeah. So being no. able to help people uh, get through their first year, I'm very excited about it because I, I know I missed out on a whole ton of crap because I went straight into Rick's truck. And um, and also, beyond doing the podcast, we have a, a larger plan. We're thinking about we wanted to go into truck driving schools and try to get something going there. And also going into large carriers to see if we can get something going there. So it's really, we have a very large plan. I posted on Facebook. I know you're on, not on Facebook anymore. But I posted on Facebook. I said, we just had our first mastermind group meeting, and it was unanimous. We've decided to take over the world. Excellent. Excellent. Big plans. I'd love them. Hey, Ed, a couple things. You got my mind really working, which doesn't take a lot. But um, uh, I forgot one of them already. So I'll go back to the one I know. Uh, going into schools, it was something I did um, early on in my career because I realized I wanted to speak. And, and public speaking was my number one fear, made me physically ill. And I thought, I got to figure out a way to get over this. And the advice from everybody was join Toastmasters, which which would have been a great advice and wish I would have done it, but I didn't. I thought, eh, why join Toastmasters? It's a bunch of people talking about stuff I don't know anything about. Why don't I go just speak at at um, trucking school graduations? And I, I was part of the Florida road team at the time, so they helped me get into a lot of the schools in Florida. And I, I was to the point where I was going pretty regular to a couple different schools around the state every time they had a graduating class. And I didn't know much back then, but but I knew a lot more about the industry than they did. So it was a good place for me to get started, learn how to speak, share some of my experience. Uh, so And it was really rewarding. I mean, I, I always say I just need to go back and do that now. Um, and it's one of those things that's on my list, but I don't get to the other thing, um, was that when you were talking about first year stories and some of mine started to pop up in my head, a, a fun break from maybe, um, your mastermind group where you're really, really working to get better or a, a fun podcast might be just to invite people to tell their first year stories. Yeah. We can fill up hours. <laughs> oh Yeah. Yeah. Little doses, though, because sometimes we all get tired of truck driver stories. Sure, yeah. Great stuff, though. Again, congratulations on uh, jumping out of the gate and leading the field. That's a, That was the first program I ever listened to on audio, by the way. It's called Lead the Field by Earl Nightingale. Let's head off to Texas. Jason, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. What can I help um, you with I'm, a, I'm currently a company driver. I've been doing it about four months now. 
I, I, I really want my own truck, so I'm looking at buying, buying a truck. And so to get a head start, I filed an LLC, opened up a business checking account, but I'm not sure, one, how to go about paying myself, since what I get paid goes to the company, and two, how to begin building uh, credit for a business. Boy, am I glad you called. Yeah, I'm glad you called because I can save you a lot of headache and a lot of money. Now, first of all, let me just say I love the fact that you're being proactive and you're working on the business stuff before running out and buying a truck. That That is way better than what I usually see, which is a truck driver who has this idea floating around his head that he wants to be an owner-operator. He does very little as far as planning. He's got some time one day and he happens to be in a, a truck dealer looking around because that's fun. That's the fun part, finding our truck. And, and they end up buying a truck and they have no plan on what they're going to do. But there is also, if you want to maximize your time and your money, there is a very specific order that you should be doing some things in and you're jumping the gun on some of them. Um, I'll give you a quick rundown. Now, this is something that I cover step by step in my program. I, I, I make it really clear why things are done in a certain order. And, you know, it, it takes me hours to go through them all of why we do this before this. But it, it's something I've been working on for 20 years. And the order I put them in really works well. Um, the LLC for now um, let me just ask you a question. Are you the only registered owner on that LLC? Yes. Good. Because you can run that LLC as a sole proprietor. Later right, on. Okay, good. Later on, if we need to, and, and if you do this right, you will need to, we'll convert it to an S-Corp, an LLC taxed as an S-Corp, because if you do all this stuff right, and I have a feeling you're going to, you're going to make enough money that we're going to need the tax breaks. But we don't need them now, and it would just be expensive. So we're not, you, right now on the LLC, you're perfect. Don't change anything. When we get back from the break, I'll tell you a couple things you're jumping the gun on and then give you some idea on where to go next. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right, uh, real quick heads up here. Uh, we're getting ready to start the fourth segment. So at the end of this segment, I say all those things. I'm done. I've got to get out of here. Good night. Don't hang up because we're going to come right back and get to some more calls and questions. We're going to record another hour. So stick with us. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to the final segment, so I'm going to get right back to the calls. I was talking with Jason in Texas. Jason, you still with me? Yeah, I'm here. 
All right. So I can save you a lot of time and headache on your question about paying yourself. And this actually is the way we have to do this. This is by the IRS. In a sole proprietor, you don't pay yourself. You don't do payroll. You don't withhold taxes. Uh, in fact, if you do, you're, you're actually wrong. Now, what you can do, and, and I, this is up to you, and I'll give you my opinion about it, but you can certainly make this decision on your own. You won't be doing formal payroll. You won't be withholding taxes. But if you wanted to split the, the profit up into, okay, I want to get paid 35 cents a mile, and whatever is left over, I'll consider profit, and I'll put it over in this other account. If you want to do that, that's fine. That, that's an accounting thing for you internally, and there are no rules about that. Do it however you want. Pay yourself as much as you want. There's no withholding. Separate the money any way you want, or don't separate it at all. And the way that I've done it over the years, because I like simple, is that as a sole proprietor, I never separated my wages from my profit. What I did was make sure I was accounting for all the expenses I needed to run the business, including putting some money aside for maintenance issues down the road and replacing equipment. But I didn't really call it, you know, profit and wages, and I didn't have a certain amount I would just set aside so much for each one of those things. And then whatever is left over was mine. That's my profit, my wage, whatever you want to call it. To me, it was easier to do it that way. It was easier to understand my numbers. Up to you which way you want to do it. But you don't have to worry about any kind of formal payroll as a sole proprietor. That makes sense? Yeah. So in this situation, because what I was going to do is just have all my paychecks now made payable to the business. What happens in the event that I need to no, hold on, hold on, hold on. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. You mean the paychecks you're getting as an employee? Yeah. Cause the, the absolutely would, not. Need to show income, right? Absolutely not. Cause I'm going to get to the other thing about your credit business credit in a second. I think that's where you're, where you're trying to go. First of all, you can't show employee wages as business income. Uh, you just can't. But if you manage to do it somehow, you would be screwing yourself completely because then you would be paying business taxes on that money. So it really can't be done. And it's a good thing. We, we would never, ever want to do that. So get that idea totally out of your head. That business will not see any income until you go into business and somebody pays you to, to operate that vehicle as, as a business, not as an employee. So, so glad, really glad you called. Now, the idea of about business credit, get it out of your head. Um, don't listen to the late night commercials about, you know, sign up for this credit card and we'll start building you credit. Don't listen to the late night commercials about incorporate now. Those are all scams, every one of them. They will cost you. The only thing they're going to do is separate you from your money. You're not going to build business credit. I don't care how hard you work at it. I don't care how many credit cards you get in the business name. Nobody on the planet will give you business credit without you personally signing for it until you get up into the multi-millions of dollars worth of income. And here's why. 
a corporation or a business is its own entity. And if somebody gave that entity credit and didn't have you sign for it personally, all you would have to do is borrow a bunch of money, close the businesses, file bankruptcy, and who cares? The businesses are gone. It wouldn't, wouldn't affect your personal credit if that ever happened. And whoever loaned you money would be out. That could never work. So it doesn't work. Nobody gives a business credit. I, I've, I've been involved in businesses with, uh, seems like we were closing in on $2 million in sales. And I went out thinking, okay, maybe I'm there now. Maybe somebody will give the business credit. Not even close. Uh, my current business, I, I doubt very much that anybody would give me business credit, even though income is, is high. Uh, we don't borrow money as a business. I, I, I made that decision in the beginning. And we've operated solely on cash flow. So I really don't care if anybody would ever give the business credit or not. And I don't think you should either. Um, if you need to borrow money, be very, very careful about it. And you're going to have to personally sign that. That's every business in the country has to deal with that. So you are doing some things really right. You are heading for a couple disasters. So I'm really glad that you called. Um, if you want to know every step that you should be doing in which order and, and a better explanation of all the things I just talked about, you can get it in my program. It's called Stop Holding the Steering Wheel and Start Driving Your Business. Uh, it's an audio program, a video program. It's got a workbook that'll walk you through every one of these steps, help you do business planning and get you off. And then it really helps you get through that first year in business as well. Uh, grab something to write with, and I'll tell you how you can get it. You can go to the website, which is letstruck.com slash store, or just letstruck.com and then look for the store. Or you can give us a call, and we can even tell you more about it. It's 855-800-FUEL, 855-800-3835. Just this phone call alone saved you several thousand dollars. The book will save you several thousand more. Let's get to some phone calls again. Let's go to Wyoming. Pete, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing, uh, Kevin? I finally took the plunge. I applied for my own authority. My question, the only thing that I haven't picked up from uh, all the other people that have the podcast is, what's the industry standard as far as billing the customer, 30, 60, 90 days? You know, there really isn't. I, I actually think, and somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, and this might be a good question for like Kenny Long and his podcast. I, I thought there's actually like a, a, a law in, in the, uh, and I'm trying to remember which, which law it was that surrounded trucking, that freight bills are actually supposed to be paid in seven days. And, and somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's one of those things that's never been Nobody cares. Everybody does whatever they want. My thought in business is I'd like to work this out with each individual customer and kind of get a feel for things. You know, I, I wouldn't want to extend more than 30 days to anybody. So I think 30 would, would be the outside. And 30 is kind of a standard, not just in trucking, but in business. And, and one of the reasons I think it becomes a standard is a lot of accounting departments they don't want to be cutting checks nonstop. 
you know, with all these different schedules. So what they tend to do is say, hey, look, we pay our bills once a month. So no matter when you submit it to us, it's going to get paid here, which could be as far as 30 days out, depending on when you submitted it to us. That seems to be kind of a business standard and holds up pretty well in the trucking industry. A smart business will always try to negotiate getting their money earlier. You know, you could say my terms are seven days or net 15 or net 20, whatever you want. And it's, it's the same thing as freight rates or fuel surcharges. There might be a kind of a standard, but it really comes down to what we can best negotiate for us. And, and that, again, is just, you know, is this customer willing to pay in 14 days? If they are, if I ask and they say, sure, no problem, well, then I'm going to take it. If they say, absolutely not, we never pay our vendors less than 30, then you probably know it's going to be 30 days. Um, I, I wouldn't give anybody terms beyond 30 days. And many times the people you give 30 days, you're going to be calling them at 60 because they haven't paid you yet. Uh, and that's just a, another part of business. So I think the answer you're looking for is probably net 30 is the most common. But we we would always like to try to negotiate faster. All right. Thank you. Uh, Eric, uh, on your monologue, uh, you know, I got, I've been doing this for 37 years. So, you know, my uh, motto was sort of like the Burger King, you know, of how you get your burger. So when I go up to a customer, I sort of ask them, you know, do you want me to load it? Do you want me to do this? Or do you have a preference? And I always thought that since he's paying the bill, he can have it any way he wants it. Other you know, than I, the bill I, itself, you know. The, yeah. Yeah. And I like that. And, and I, I'm like that, too. And that's that's good customer service. And it's a very fine line between, look, if we if we know ahead of time, I, I'm willing to do this, 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 this. I, it's just good customer service. I'm providing value. I like that. I'm I, I'm talking a little bit when I tend to, you know, avoid conflict. It's something maybe I didn't see coming or didn't. And, and my tendency is to give in too easy. And I, I just, you know, I'm becoming aware of that. And I wanted to share that with other people. Hey, congratulations on the authority. That is so exciting. And, uh, you know, stay in touch. Let me know how it's going. That music means I've got to get out of here. We'll see you back here next time. Check out the website. It's letstruck.com. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Be safe. Be profitable. Do the hard work and master the journey. All right, here we go. The second hour. Let's get started. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. This is the show where we take your calls, we answer your questions, and we help you run a better business in trucking, or we help you get into business in trucking. 
And we can take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, getting started, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your own authority. You name it, we'll talk about it. We'll also talk about all the other aspects of business. How do you run a good business? The beauty is, once you run, learn how to run a good business, you can almost run any business. The core foundation is always the same. Then you just need to learn those specific skills. So we cover them both here. We talk about the core foundation of building a good business. I've been in business myself virtually my whole life, several different industries. I've helped lots of people run businesses, and I've read thousands of books about business. I can help you with the foundation, and I have been in trucking virtually my whole life, so I can help you with the trucking-specific questions as well. So with that said, today what I would like to do is uh, get started. I I, I mentioned that I've read thousands of books, and I'm actually accelerating that pace. I found out that one of the people I really look up to, Larry Wingett, who has six bestsellers of his own, he says he's read over 4,000 books in his lifetime. Now, he's a couple years older than I am, so he's got a head start, but I'm going to work hard to catch him. One of the books I love, and if you want to talk about a good, solid foundation for business, you could literally just use this one book, and it's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I've got another little companion book to it, uh, which is called Daily Reflections for Highly Effective People. And you just get one sentence, one little paragraph each day. And it's just a great way to start the morning as I'm trying to get my eyes open and enjoying my first and one cup of coffee for the day. I usually read this and and try to think, how does this affect me today? How does it affect my business? How could I use this to help my listeners? So today, It says it takes a great deal of character strength to apologize quickly out of one's heart rather than out of pity. A person must possess himself and have a deep sense of security in fundamental principles and values in order to genuinely apologize. What a great lesson. The first lesson is just that when we screw up, we should just apologize. But there's also different ways of apologizing. Some people get to the point where they just apologize quickly just to get the conflict over with. I, I was guilty of that at a time. I, I, I really try hard not to do that anymore. I try to really seek to understand the other person's point of view and then try to understand what I did wrong and why I did it. And not only does that help me be better next time, but it really leads to a genuine apology that that makes sense. And, you know, in our, our last show, we were t- I was talking about conflict and resolving conflict. And, and this is a big part of it. We all make mistakes. I make them every single day. And if you're not making mistakes or if you think you're not making mistakes, then all that really tells me is you're not even in the game. You're sitting on the sidelines watching life go by. It's the only way not to make mistakes. Let me give you another lesson. One of my favorites that I had to learn the hard way on my own. I learn far more from my mistakes than I do from my successes. Successes usually happen by accident, and and I don't always know why. When I make a mistake, though, there's a lesson in there. 
Sometimes I make mistakes that don't affect other people and I don't have to apologize to anybody. Lots of times I make mistakes that do affect other people. And it's a really good idea to have a sincere apology about why. It goes a long way towards one of the keys to building a great business and a great life. And, and that is, you know, take responsibility for what you do. It, it, that goes so far and, and build relationships. One of the best ways to build relationships is to be sincere. And when you make a mistake, own up to it, fix it and move on. Don't dwell on it either. So identify the mistake, figure out why, apologize sincerely, and then fix it if you can and move on. Let's get to some phone calls. Let's head off to Arkansas. Jason, welcome to the program. Good evening, Kevin. Uh, it's uh, so good to talk to you. Great to have you here. What's on your mind? Well, just a couple things. We'll get the exciting one out of the way. Uh, your last show, uh, Melissa called, and she was uh, had uh, said that she was. They had the first uh, mastermind group meeting uh, just last night, and uh, I got to be a part of that. So I'm excited about it. Looking forward to all the things that that we're going to do with that. Very cool. You know. I, a lot of times, I think people that listen to me know I, ideas sprout out of my ears sometimes. Sometimes they come shooting out of my nose. I, you know, I don't know where some of them come from. Um, and a lot of times people say, Kevin, why do you talk about that idea before you've done it? You know, and many times I talk about things I never get to them. And I thought about it one time. Well, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe I should wait until I get it done. And then I thought, no, you know what? I won't get to some of these ever. I have way too many to ever get to them. Um, the joke around the the company is for some reason, my ideas seem to sprout in the shower. Uh, I don't know what that's all about because I have nothing else to do while I'm in there. Um, and and there were, they were threatening me every once in a while that I wouldn't be allowed to take showers anymore because the ideas have to stop, but they don't. And I thought, you know what? And this is a great example. I haven't got my mastermind group yet. I, I've, I've got the idea on paper, starting to work out some of the mechanics and think about who I want in it, but I'm not started. And yet other people took the idea and they're going to benefit from it. They're, they're not waiting for me. I love that. Go do it. So you guys are doing it. People are going to benefit from it. So just expect that I'll keep, you know, sprouting off with my ideas, even if I'm not going to do them. Well, we're excited about it. Looking forward to seeing what we can do to help those uh, get started in their first year, help them get through that, get on their feet and make sure that they can be successful. Well, you know, let's think about it for a second. I, I've been saying for years that my my personal mission, my kind of my life mission, and certainly a, a big part of the show is I, I grew up around the trucking industry. I saw it when it was in its, you know, back in the 60s when Truck drivers were literally called the Knights of the Road. And you, the, you, the stories were all, boy, if you were ever broke down on the road, you really want a truck driver to stop and help you. And they know all the good places to eat. And it was a very, very positive image. And that's what I grew up with. And then when I got into the trucking industry in the mid 80s, you know what? That isn't what I saw. I, I saw a, a lot of what we see today, not quite as bad. But I, I was seeing the beginning of that, it, and I didn't like it. 
it, and I, I, I actually avoided spending much time in truck stops because uh, I, I wasn't, I didn't like what I was seeing. And, and my mission is I want to make this a better industry to live and work in. And what a better way to do that than get to the people who are just coming in. So, so I think your mission behind this mastermind is probably one of the most important if we want to make this industry better. Well, I think so too. And it's, uh, we're like, we're excited about it. Looking forward to it. Kind of a get to know you meeting last night, but we're uh, starting to lay some things down and we'll see what we, what can come of it. I'm, a, I'm excited. Excellent. So, well, the other thing I called about, um, was I have a corporation or LLC taxed as an S corp. And uh, I was going to ask you what the procedure is for taking a draw. Um, is that something that has to go through my payroll company um, and be accounted for under payroll type deal, just not taxed? Or is that something that they handle at the end of the year? And just because it's left over and not accounted for, then it's counted as income. How, how does that actually work? If I, you know, if I want to take $2,000 out for myself um, out of the business, you know, what do I do? <laughs> All of the above or any of the above. Um, There aren't any real strict rules about this. And and in fact, my best recommendation for each person is sit down with your tax preparer. So, and I would say your accountant, but you might be acting as your own accountant, which I love. You might be doing all of your own, you know, kind of day-to-day, month-to-month accounting. So it will really fall to your tax preparer to, to handle this. So, I recommend either a phone call or a meeting, ask the exact question you just asked me, because most tax preparers have a method they would rather see you be doing. Um, and I'll tell you how we do it in, in our company. Uh, but the music just started playing, so I'll wait till we get back, and then I'll tell you how we do it in our company. But this is kind of, there's a lot of flexibility in how you do this. And it, in my opinion, it, it helps to really work with your tax preparer so it's easier for them and it's what they're comfortable with. So we'll talk more about that right around the corner. Don't go away. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. I'm going to go back to Jason. Jason, you still with me? Yes, sir. I am. All right. So, um, you know, in our business right now, our income has gotten pretty stable. You know, it's pretty easy to predict right now how much money is going to come in. I've been working harder on our expenses this year. It's a little easier for us to predict how much we've got. So we sat down and said, okay, here's our salary. Um, And as you know, we try to 
try to get away with paying as little in salary as we can. Uh, you know, we got to play yeah. the game with the IRS because that's how we save taxes. So we set our salary where we think we can get away with. And then we also said, looking at profits, there's clearly X amount of dollars available every month. And, and it won't tax the business. And I don't mean, I shouldn't use that word. It won't put a strain on the business if we take this amount out every month. So we set it almost as a, a almost as a second part of the salary because it's the same every month. Now, if at the end of the year we get there and there's a whole bunch left over, you have two choices. Um, no matter what you decide to do with it at the end of the year, if you leave it in your bank accounts, it doesn't matter. In an S-corp, you get taxed on every penny that year. But you get to choose, do I want to draw it out uh, because I'm getting taxed on it anyway, or do I want to leave it in the company because I want some cushion and I know I'm going to get taxed on it? So if you know a, a set amount that that you can safely take above and beyond um, your payroll without really putting a burden on the company and you know there's still enough cash in there, I like doing that because it it kind of helps budget. But you don't have to. I mean, you can call up, and I just did it the other day. I, I had some money sitting in the company, and I needed it personally. And I called the account, and I said, hey, I want to draw. Just, just transfer it over to my checking account. And then okay. they'll take care of how it gets reported at the end of the year. So that's why it, it, it's really a good idea to just sit down with your tax preparer and figure out the best strategy. Okay. So if I wanted to leave a bunch in the company as far as like for a maintenance fund or try to put $20,000 back for a rebuild or something, then that still has to be, it will be accounted for at the end of the year and be taxed on it, but I right. can still leave it sitting there for the company. Okay. Yep, Sounds exactly. good. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Great question too. A lot of people don't understand that issue. And, you know, a lot of people think, well, if I leave it in the company and an S corp, S corps aren't taxed. They're not. That's true. S-corps aren't taxed. But at the end of the year, all of the money has to be taxed at the personal level. And it will either get taxed as payroll or as a draw, no matter where the money is sitting. But many times it does make sense. Pay the tax, leave it in there so we have healthy cash flow in the business. Let's head off to Massachusetts. Mark, welcome to the program. What can I help you with? I've got an oil sample for you to look at. All right. Let's see what we've got. While I'm looking at it, tell me a little bit about the truck, what year, and what engine. It's a 2015 Coronado Glider with the 12.7 Detroit. Uh, interesting. Um, is your last initial G? No, F. All right, then I think I have the wrong oil sample here. It was just a coincidence. I guess I had a, a uh, somebody sitting here with the their name was Mark. Um, I'm not seeing. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. My fault. Lisa sent it to me. Here we go. There it is. She sent it to me a different way than she normally does. Now I've got it. All right. So we've got a 12.7. It's got, uh, looks like 85,000 miles on the rebuild. And is there only 11,000 on this oil sample? Yeah. 
All right. We've got some ugly stuff going on here. Um, where did where did this engine come from? Do you know? Fitzgerald fighters. So it came from Detroit then because they use all factory engines. Um, we have two problems that I'm seeing and they're they're common occurrences on, you know, on pre-emission engines, but they're, you know, they're both happening at the same time. We have some fuel dilution, but I don't think I would focus on that right now. It's been fairly consistent at 2.9, 3.3, 3.3, 3.4, and now it's back down at 2.9, but you've only got 11,000 miles on the oil. It, it is possible we have injector issues. Now, here's the thing. If, if you can get this fixed under warranty, then I would say let them do the injectors. They may also look at you, Detroit may look at you and go, you know, 3% fuel dilution isn't enough for us to cover it under warranty. And if that's the case, we're just going to have to keep an eye on it. Now, the reason I say you shouldn't get too concerned, other than lead, I'm not seeing a ton of wear metals, but but lead it could be an issue. I mean, it, the, the fuel could be attacking the bearings. The, the viscosity has dropped. And as I'm talking to myself, um, I'm talking myself into you should get these injectors looked at, whether it's warranty or not. Okay. Um, it's, it's too early in this engine to, to risk wiping out a set of bearings. The viscosity's down. Lead was at 106 last time. And I was only looking at the 35, but then I have to remember there's only 11,000 miles on this oil. So we do have to address the injector issue. And, and I would push to get it done under warranty. Um, the other issue, though, you've also got a coolant leak. Yeah, that so, was what I was more worried about. Uh, and, and the coolant is also part of the bearing problem. And I think that that's why I'm, I'm concerned because fuel will reduce the viscosity that puts stress on the bearings. Coolant strips the zinc out of the oil and the zinc is there to form a protective coating on metal. So once we strip the zinc out, now we don't have that protective coating. So we see high wear metals. Now we've got a low viscosity oil. So it's kind of a double whammy. And yeah, I, I'm, the more I read this, the more I'm changing my mind. You can't ignore any of this. Um, okay. In fact, I put a call into them. They're going to get okay. back to me. I've emailed the report over to them, and they're supposed to get back to me and let me know if they're going to warranty it. Okay. Let me make one more recommendation. And honestly, if you could do this today, I would do it today. And if you can't, I would make it a big priority. And, and it's not a big deal, but I would drain two gallons of oil out and I would add two gallons of Lucas oil conditioner. Okay. And that will help protect all of these parts while we're trying to figure that out. It's going to bring that viscosity back up from, say, 12.9, probably going to bring you back up into the 14 range, maybe even 15, which normally we don't want that. We don't want real thick oil. We want thin oil because the engine runs better. But when we have a problem, our first concern is let's protect the engine. And if we can get that viscosity up nice and thick, that's going to help protect the engine. And it's also getting rid of two gallons of oil is going to get rid of some of these contaminants. Okay. All right. Well, that's so, all I um, had for you. So 
Now, just just for everybody else, this is the beauty of oil analysis because this could happen on any engine. We see it on new engines. We see it on in-frames, rebuilds, engines with a lot of miles. We see things like this, fuel dilution, coolant intrusion. You'd never know it any other way. And you would just go on because your engine's probably running okay, right? Yeah, yeah, it's running fine. Yeah, and so we I never also, even I had, I had a coolant hose leaking, so the the you know the antifreeze that was missing, I just attributed to the co- leaking coolant hose. If I hadn't sampled it, I wouldn't have known. Yeah. So the beauty of this is you've saved an engine. Had this gone on, you, you could have wiped out a set of bearings in in one hundred and fifty thousand miles. Yeah, so I, I would make this a priority. Get the Lucas in. That will buy you a lot of time. But okay. also, you got to start pushing on them because uh, this should be done under warranty. Okay. That's what I was hoping. All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. I can't stress enough that if you own a truck and you're not doing oil analysis, you are doing yourself and your business a huge disservice. Oil analysis is oil analysis is the cheapest form of really good insurance you can buy. This is a great example. We caught this early enough. This, this we can solve this problem, and virtually no damage has been done to this engine at this point. Little bit of additional wear, nothing. This could still be a million mile engine, no problem. If this would have gone on, it's running great. We don't see any problems. We could have wiped out not only bearings, but cylinder kits in. This would be one of those engines that got rebuilt at 250000 and nobody would even know why. We know why. And we caught it early enough. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Roth. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. If you are interested in doing oil samples, and if you own a truck, you should be, uh, the lab we've partnered with for years is Polaris Labs. Those are almost always the samples you hear me reading on the air. I know the lab really well. I know their samples. They are top notch. They upgrade their equipment every time something changes. Fuel dilution is a big one. There are many labs in the country right now that can't find fuel dilution because they don't have the right equipment to do it because the fuel blends have changed. 
Uh, Polaris is on top of that. Their, their fuel dilution is so sensitive that I have to be careful not to think there's a problem when there isn't. I have to look for the other signs as well. But if, if you want to work with that lab, which is who we've chosen to partner with, you can now buy the samples right on our website, which is letstruck.com slash store. We'll get them shipped right out to you. You'll be in our system. So we have access to your samples and I can help you analyze them. So letstruck.com slash store and you'll find the oil samples right there. Let's head off to uh, Dallas. Bobby, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Kevin. I really could use your insight. Um, my batteries tend to last about eight months. I have had a, a, a 3,000 watt power inverter on this truck since I got the truck uh, in 2006. And, I, and last year I put a pure train power inverter in, 3,000 watt. And I also have a Bose Ride seat. Okay, so I have these two things. Last year, uh, we kept having trouble with the seat, and we upgraded our, our alternator, so it was at, I think it's 175, and that solved our problem with the seat. All right. Now, uh, a week or so ago, uh, the batteries were going down, and come to find out, we had three batteries that were totally dead. So we changed the batteries, and um, they only had 600 in stock, and thought, okay, fine. That was supposed to be a good battery, just wouldn't you know last as long probably. But anyway, we got uh, everything. The seat was not working, but the inverter was working, and we got about 300 miles, and the inverter shut down. So I thought, okay, batteries must not be big enough. So we got back there, and we got the yellow optimum top batteries put on, and then the the seat still wasn't working, but the Inverter was working, and we got about another 300 miles, and it shut down again. So, got it. Um, so then uh, we thought, okay, maybe it really hurt the alternator. So we got a new alternator, and we went with a 225 alternator this time. Just thought, we're going to go big. And the same thing happened again. And uh, so then they found a wire that was kind of frayed, and they checked on the starter, and they found something there that they fixed. And the seat then came on for a few minutes, and then it went off, and the the power inverter was on slightly, and then it went off. So um, <laughs> we've never had any of this trouble wow. before. Okay, <laughs> so boy, I, I don't even know where to start. I'm glad we have two segments left on the show because I might need them all. Um <laughs> Where do we start? Now, here's the good news. Here's the good news. My okay. setup is virtually identical to yours. It, with okay. one exception, I have two Bose ride seats. Right. Yeah. 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 So, and the, you know, the Bose ride seat is an engineering marvel. I, I got to spend oh. time with them and not only in the, the ride, which we all enjoy and absolutely love, but one of their huge challenges in the beginning you, you got to understand this seat. That seat is using electromagnetic actuators to hold as much as a 300-pound driver suspended in air while we're right. hitting bumps. And right. to do right. that with an actuator takes tremendous amounts of electrical power. 
And when they first designed it, you needed a bank of batteries just to run the seat. Their solution, which is just an engineering marvel, is as that seat moves up and down, it's like its own little generator and it captures all of its own energy. Not all of it. It still has to draw from the batteries, but it captures enough that if your electrical system is the way it should be, those seats do not put any any real strain on the, the electrical system at all. What you're seeing is what sounds to me like a horrible mess of an electrical system, and we're going to explore that. And the seat is one of the first places that it will show up. It's right, actually kind right. of like the canary in the coal mine. I had an alternator problem on my truck, probably wouldn't have known about it for months, except my seat started acting up. And right, I, why, yeah, yeah. So it's almost like a little warning system that our electrical system isn't up to up to par. I also have a big inverter, a pure sine wave inverter. And just so people know, pure sine wave, we, we use those if we have sensitive electrical equipment, computers, cell phones. If you don't have those pure sine wave, you don't need to spend the extra money. It just puts out a more stable voltage. The voltage doesn't jump around because electronics don't like that. So pure sine wave is one of the better, best inverters you can buy. Um, and you've got a big one. Uh, that That's putting a load on the, the electrical system. But if the electrical system is, is where it should be, you'll be okay. I'm not surprised that your batteries are only lasting eight months. That That doesn't surprise me at all. So right. we've got to go back and do some really, really good um, electrical system maintenance. Now, are, are you working with a shop on this? Yes, I, yes, I am. I'm working with a shop, and I told him, I said, this next load, I said, I'm getting home, and I'm not going to leave until this is figured out. I said, I, okay. I, I, you, my partner, she can't be in the, in the truck without the seat working. Right. Do you have... Do you have a good relationship with the shop? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, it's a new okay. guy that I've just started working with, but I'm really, yeah, like, he's been, he's, I, I could go on a long story with him, but he's been very impressive. I want you to sit down with him and school him a little bit. I have a couple okay. problems with, with what, and you may have been the one to make some of these decisions, but I, 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 I want to find shops that work with me. You know, I, I'm, I'm doing a show this week later on tomorrow about, our healthcare system. And I'm going to just going to draw a quick analogy here. Our healthcare system in this country does virtually nothing to keep us healthy. They wait until something breaks and then they usually just cover up the symptoms. And we spend right. a lot of money doing it and we get sicker and sicker over our lives. It, it's stupid. Our, they, our shops do the same thing. And, and our idea for a shop, which um, we didn't get off the ground for a lot of other reasons, was we want to be the holistic naturopath of trucks. Bring us your truck when it's running right, and we'll show you how to keep it running right and make it really healthy, like we should do with our body. But our shops are just like our doctors, that we go to them when we're broke, and they give us a Band-Aid to fix the symptoms. And that's what happened here. Um, well, I, I was the one that said, put the new alternator on. I said, okay, well, I then I'm going to. Then I'm going to school you a little bit. Two reasons. Two, two reasons. The 175 was a great choice. The 225 was a bad choice for two reasons. One, 
we didn't know if the alternator was bad or not. I, I, your first time upgrading, it was a great idea. If we go too big on an alternator, it actually hurts fuel economy. That, that alternator takes more horsepower to drive a big alternator. So we want the right size, not too big, not too small. And, and the 175 was good for what you've got going on. Well, I so, talked to Eldon, and he told me that the 225 was fine. That was why I made the decision. He said, no, they said that, you know, it's, I called it's, a, it's a judgment call. Um, Eldon's not wrong, but neither am I. I like to not. Because you know how I am about fuel economy. Right. If right. I, I never thought about it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, if I yeah. have an alternator that's putting out, you know, more than I need, um, I would actually rather have slightly less. And it might mean I would replace my batteries a little bit earlier. But if we look at all the fuel I consumed over those two or three years while I was running this bigger alternator, then it doesn't make sense anymore. And I like to look long-term. So if you have the 175, I would go back to it and keep the 225 as a spare. Uh, If that's, you can still do that. But before anybody replaced an alternator, especially the second time, we should have made sure that it was the problem and it clearly wasn't. We had all kinds of maintenance issues here, busted wires. My guess is we have horrible grounds. So when I get back, I'm going to tell you what I would like to have you work with your shop to work on. And uh, I'll give you a, a kind of a plan of attack on this. And we will get this taken care of. Stick around. I'm Kevin Roth. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rothford. We're down to the final segment. I'm going to get back to, to that call real quick, though. There's a there's a really good lesson here in in two very important areas of our life, our truck and our health. And nobody, very few people, the people who will work with you on this are hard to find. And that's why you have to work so hard to find and build a relationship. But whether it's our health or our truck the people we go to aren't really concerned about keeping either one healthy. They are more concerned about their business and making a profit, which I'm okay with that and fixing your immediate problem. And I understand how this happened. A lot of people go to a doctor and they don't want to be told how to live. They don't want to be told to change their diet or to stop smoking or walk more. And, and I think doctors, you know, over probably, you know, centuries even have said, you know what? People don't want to hear this. So if they have a a problem, I'll fix it with 
a drug. And now we have our pharmaceutical companies who are making that far worse. So it's up to you to take responsibility for your own health and learn as much as you can and build relationships with somebody like a naturopath or a chiropractor who are both more attuned to keeping you healthy. The same thing goes for your truck. The shop, they don't want to tell people how to run their business. So they're not going to give you advice on how to keep your truck healthy. For one thing, in the short term, it works against their best interest. They would much rather see your truck keep breaking down. That's how they make money. I believe, you know, I've always said that I I am a true capitalist, and that's wrong. There's a new term out that I really like. There's even a book about it, and it's called conscious capitalism, meaning I am clearly in business to make a profit, but I also have a conscious, and and I I want to do the right thing, and I want to help other people. That's what business is for. Business is to provide a service to people and to make a profit, and the two can go hand in hand. Now, we may not, under conscious capitalism, you may not see huge mega corporations, but there are a couple companies out there that do it pretty well. A um, couple that come to mind, Whole Foods. Uh, in fact, I think, if I remember right, the book called Conscious Capitalism is actually written by the CEO of Whole Foods. Um, Southwest, Zappos, there are some pretty big companies out there that really work hard to practice this kind of capitalism. And it's something I work very hard. Um, but we have to understand businesses don't. And we have to take responsibility for learning as much as we can so that we can identify the good companies from the bad and then building the relationship with the good companies. And it, it takes time. It's hard work. That's exactly why most people don't get there. Um, but I, I can promise you it is absolutely worth it. So, Bobby, I know you're working to build a relationship with this company. I want you to keep doing that. Here's what I'd like to see. I would like to see them go in and start at your batteries and we load test the batteries. I know you just put new batteries in. Let's just, you know, I don't want to overlook the obvious that we can't get our computer to to work and it's because it's unplugged and and we're doing 97 other hard things when all we had to do is plug it in. So I want to make sure we didn't buy a bad battery. They happen sometimes. So let's load test the batteries. If they didn't do this when they replaced the batteries, I want all of the terminals cleaned really well, tightened. I watched them do that. Yeah, I watched them do that. Yeah. Excellent. So we know we're good at the batteries. Still load test them. Then we want to start following the main cables out of the battery and doing the same thing at every connection. We want to make sure that every connection from the batteries out is clean, um, make good connections. We've got dielectric grease where it needs to be. We, you know, check the connectors at the ECM because so much goes on in the ECM. Make sure they're not wet, corroded, bent, things like that. And then we find all the grounds on the truck and we do the same thing. We pull all the grounds off. We clean the metal so we get good metal to metal contact put dielectric grease on them to protect them. And if we don't have enough grounds, let's add a couple. It, it You can't overground. So 
make sure the ones that are there are good. And they're usually enough. But, you know, let's just make sure that that should be done. Every time we run into an electrical problem before we even start working on the electrical problem, we, we should make sure because so many times I see companies charge six, seven hours to troubleshoot a problem, throw a bunch of parts at it. And it turns out yeah. we've got a busted ground wire somewhere. Um, yeah, he, it, was, he was really working on the grounds because he said grounds are so important. That was his comment to me. And that's why he went Good. to the starter and he said, you don't need a new starter. He said, we were able to replace just a certain part of the starter. He said, the starters are expensive. So he's thinking about my money. So that makes me feel good about it. And, you know, but that, it's that's, just, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's excellent. That really is. That makes me feel good. It, it makes me feel like this is a shop that is, you know, working with you and doing the right stuff on this. And, and electrical is one of those areas where we can blow a bunch of money just because we overlook some of the basics. The other beauty of this is if you do this, then we'll avoid the electrical problems in the future because many times they come back to bad grounds, poor connections, corroded wires, things like that. So if, if we make this a, a regular maintenance item, we will avoid a lot of problems. So there's, there's really nothing else that, it, I mean, these are just the things that it has to be somewhere in this area, right? There's no magical some other place. No, no. I mean, basically, let's go over the electrical system. It starts with the batteries and the alternator. Those two things have to work together. The alternator generates electricity. The batteries store electricity. That's a fairly simple okay. system. Okay, so that's and, why it was not, it would start off being fine, and after 300 miles, it's down because it's not getting it from the alternator to the, to the batteries. Or, right. and there's another quick test that we do. We disconnect the cables from the batteries so that there is no power going into the system. And then we can, and, and we have to turn off all kinds of things in the truck and, and your, your mechanic should know how to do this. And then we test to see if there is a draw somewhere and we can measure the draw because sometimes we get a short in a component that has, we don't even think of when it comes to the electrical system, but anything on your truck that runs off of electricity, radios, lights, I mean, start to think about it, refrigerators, computers right. on the truck, any one of those things could could have a short or another problem that starts drawing so much energy out of the system that that is really our problem. But it's quick to isolate. I, I just told you how we get the, the right. electricity off the system and then see if there's some sort of a draw somewhere. OK, OK. Because it's just, it was like everything was fine until we had to put new batteries on. And then all of a sudden, nothing. Well, it wasn't. It, no, no. And I, I just want to correct you there. It felt fine because we didn't see any symptoms. It, it's kind of like having cancer for four or five years and not knowing it. That's how cancer grows. And we don't know it's there until it's too late. That's why we live right. That's why we eat right. That's why we pay attention to our bodies. Same thing with the truck. It's why we do good preventative maintenance on a truck, an art that seems to be disappearing. Let's go to uh, Idaho. Dave, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. I am good in after. kind of a dilemma. 
Okay. I'm kind of a dilemma here. I've got a two truck outfit and one trailer and, and I've been trying to get a trailer and get two of them going. And I've never, since I bought that right in the height of 2008 disaster. Okay. And, um, right now one of them is getting a motor in, uh, Wyoming, unfortunately. And it's the younger of the two. Okay. Um, and I'm having trouble finding, um, I've got three paid for titles. And I'm trying to get a refinance on one of those titles. And I'm having a very difficult time finding anybody who will even talk to me about this. Okay. So this is one of those areas Boy, I've got all kinds of medical analogies today. This is one of those areas where I could act like a Western doctor and we could put a Band-Aid on this. And I, I could probably give you some ideas to fix the problem. Um, and, and I will because I, I want to give you the choice. Uh, so my, the Western approach to this would be um, keep looking and making phone calls and also check out things like peer-to-peer lending. Um, that might be a possibility for you. You got to start getting creative, friends, relatives. I mean, it, this is a tough situation. It's going to take a tough answer. Well, I wish I had All more right. time. Let me give you the quick Eastern approach to this. The Eastern approach to this is this is a very, very sick business. If we have to use titles to borrow money, we are going backwards. I had to do it once. I went from 11 trucks to two. And I got those two really, really healthy. And and it was the best thing I ever did. It was also the hardest thing I ever did. You might have to go from four units down to two and get them really, really healthy. And that might even feel like a step backwards. It will. But I think that may be a far better alternative here. And, and you know what? I'm going to put you back on hold. We're going to get you back on another show because I want to talk to you about this more. I got to go. Be safe. Be profitable. Do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Thanks for tuning in to The Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.